Welcome to Oxfordshire Teacher Training's podcast. Um, I'm Matthew Coatsworth and I'm absolutely delighted to be sitting down this afternoon with Sonia Blanford. Sonia is one of the country's foremost experts on social mobility and she's also the author of a book called Born to Fail and uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that um, and also a book called Social Mobility Chance or Choice. She's also the CEO of Achievement for All. So Sonia, welcome. Thank you so much for coming to join us today. Thank you for inviting me. So um, let's, let's start off by, by, first of all, maybe having a think about um, what do you mean when you talk about social mobility? I think uh, social mobility for me is actually in that second book title. It's about having the chances to uh, select what you do in life, to be able to have those choices, to have um, a wide breadth of social, cultural um, and community opportunities. Uh, rather than to be to have social mobility as a narrow focus of a like a ladder going up that you would go up or you'd go down actually I think social mobility is something that that is across us all and irrespective of our background our challenges or our needs and therefore it is that social it is that cultural and it is that community yeah fantastic that's going to be important for what we're going to be talking about today so um, at the time of recording um sonia is going to be joining us very shortly for um, a session with our associate teachers on one of our super thursdays looking at social justice um this episode will get broadcast just after that's come out um but uh, one of the things that we do on our podcast sonia is we 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 focus particularly on the work that our mentors do when they're working with our associate teachers which is what we call our trainees as we've got you with us um I wonder whether we can have a little think about um, what it is that we can do to to help um, mentors support tr- the trainees, the associate teachers, to create the opportunities that that actually genuinely open doors for disadvantaged children. Because I think this is a particular focus at the moment. One of the things we're looking at this year. So you mentioned in the introduction that uh, I'm the CEO of Achievement for All, and at Achievement for All, we focus on four areas of work. Um, with our coaching, with our, you use mentors, we use coaches, um, sometimes they're interchanged. I think in this context, it is quite interchangeable. Um, the, the four areas are aspiration. So building that resilience in the, in the student who's a student teacher, so that they can then build aspiration in their students for the vulnerable and disadvantaged. And the reason I start with the student teacher, it's actually where they feel they are in relation to the disadvantaged and the vulnerable. So to look at how they can support through their experiences, but also to look wider um, in terms of the community and in terms of the what's available educationally. I think the 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 root of that aspiration is for every child and young person to have that self-belief that resilience the i can do something that i can be involved i think it's um really important that every child can see education is for them uh the second point is access now often access is used again with that ladder in mind that you step out of school and you go to a further education college or you go to a university and you're going up and up and up the the academic ladder in order to go up a social ladder. Well, for me and for our coaches, access is actually the doing of the learning. So it's not necessarily going up a ladder academically. uh, It's actually the breadth of learning. So it's the breadth of that experience in learning. 
and I, it's important uh, for the mentors and the and the student teachers to, to to understand that it's it is the breadth as much as as the development um, in in other ways. So that's access. I do. I'm doing. And then thirdly is attainment. Now attainment traditionally is about passing those exams. Uh, actually, attainment for us is a lot wider than that, as you can imagine from the previous two, two comments. And that is, I have, it's, it's actually knowing that you've done something. So you've attained something. So I can, I do, followed by I have. I have done something. And recognising as a, as a child, as a young person, that they've achieved something during a day, a, their day in school. Now they go home with whether it's a feeling that they've been praised, that somebody's been kind to them. There's some 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 learning that's happened. They understand learning in that context. And then finally, achievement, which is the ultimate, which is I know what it is to succeed. I know what it is to learn. I know what it is to be part of a school that actually recognises who I am and I identify who I am in that context. So it's I can, I do, I have. And then I am, I, I know who I am. And it's so important for a child and a young person to have that inner confidence, that core strength, that self-belief, which, which, which comes from the I am. Fantastic. And uh, I know that you, you, you go into that in a bit more detail in, in the books as well, talking about that and, and definitely through the work that you're doing with Achievement for All. Now, one of the things that I, I particularly picked up when I first read Born to Fail, the, the book that you wrote um, all about um, the working class view, uh, as you call it, um, for, for social mobility, was the importance of um, how you're engaging children, but also their families. And um, I, um, I suppose one of the things that I'm particularly interested at the moment about is, is this idea about how we can um, engage and involve uh, children and families um, through listening. And um, I wonder whether we can just have a little bit of a think about, about the importance of that and maybe, maybe some experiences that you've had about how that works so well. Well, I think the, the, the way that I portray it in both books is, it is about listening, but it's about mutuality. Mm. And often this is the case that people will come in with with all the right intentions, with all the right the, the right desire, the right the, the right uh, willingness to help support. But actually, what they're doing is telling people, well, actually, this is what you do in your life. This is where you should be in your life, uh, without listening to the person themselves and feeling that the person the person doesn't know, and therefore you've got to tell them. Well, actually. It's, it's, it is the case that people do know what they want. You know, they may not have experienced it, but they do have some idea of where they want to be and what they want to do. So that listening, that mutuality is really important. It's valuing where a person is in their lives, where they're located, where they are in the community, where they are socially, where they are um, in terms of cultural development and respecting the individuality and respecting the parents, the carers, the children and young people because of where they come from, not because you want to change them. And in fact, I suppose if you're, if you're a mentor or a coach working with a, a trainee teacher, then one of, the, one of the temptations, particularly at the start of, a, of an academic year working with someone, is, is to kind of tell them what to do without necessarily listening to exactly what they want to do. Because you might make that assumption that uh, 
that they don't yet know what it is that they, they want from things. But of course, you know, everybody coming into into training uh, as a trainee teacher is, is coming in with with you know a huge amount that they're already offering. Um, we've got lots of people this year who are um, as we've had for many years who've come along who've had a career in, in something else and now they're retrained to become a teacher and and not to not to listen to that aspect of what they're able to bring um it's, it's really really vital isn't it yeah yeah so building on that that point about mutuality so for the for the student for the for the teacher it's understanding where the child and young person is for the mentor you're, quite, you're absolutely right is it's where that student teacher is and what what they bring from their background and how they can bring that breadth of experience uh, and to be valued for what they they can offer as a teacher and i think it's fantastic that we've got so many routes into teaching and it's yeah. fantastic that we've got attracted such a wide range of people to come into the classroom to be able to support uh, an equally diverse community um, mm. within the schools yeah absolutely um and it's interesting you, you're talking a lot one of the words you've used a lot already in in, in the discussion we we're having this afternoon is it's about this this um you, you talk about respecting parents and carers and, and not information giving um i suppose one of the things that would be useful for um mentors and associate teachers if they're listening into this podcast is perhaps you know with with your wealth of experience what what approaches do you think effective schools take that make this work well that maybe um other people can take away and think about their own placement schools and whether they're actually seeing that in action there well the first thing that they can give is time because if you're going to listen you need to have time and the, the, the norm in schools over many, many decades has been that five minute, if, if you're lucky, with a teacher at a parent's evening, yeah. uh, and, or 20 minutes if you're in a primary school, but covering 11 different subjects. Well, that, that's, not, that's not giving people time. So we advocate for at least 30 minutes and possibly an hour um, to have that initial conversation with a parent or a carer to understand where the child is, to understand what is happening in their lives, not to be a counsellor, but just to listen, and then to set common goals, a clear target that the parent, the carer, and the child, and the school, that magic triangle, that they're all agreed that that's the goal. And if the goal is, I'm gonna attend school, I'm going to be on time for lessons, that's the goal. If the goal is, I'm gonna spend 10 minutes a day doing a little bit of homework, that's the goal. But it's one that they, all three parties are in agreement with. You know, don't set, don't set it too, too, too high, a target. Um, the, the goal has to be something which is in that time or of that day, something that's achievable in that week, not something that's going to be, you know, I'm, most target setting, it talks about, I'm going to be, um, get above 50% in my exams or I'm going to get five GCSEs at A grade well actually for most children and young people that's that's something that they wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily see as being an immediate no. issue for them to to comprehend so so in setting the goal it's actually about that immediacy yeah obviously at the time that we're recording this um we're, we're in, the, in the middle of, uh, of a pandemic and I know you've been doing an awful lot of work uh, to to try and um, put well-being at the, at the forefront of, of what people are thinking about at the moment in terms of children and their families. In terms of social mobility, what, what, what are you finding that is working at the moment? 
I think what what's worked for for achievement four is the partnership between the coaches and the schools uh, in establishing the well-being, uh, yes, of the children, and the young people, but also the well-being of the teachers. Yeah. And in terms of social mobility, it's about maintaining that uh, consistency of uh, curriculum awareness. So it's not just information in imparting information; it's actually having those conversations. And those conversations are either synchronous or asynchronous in the way that they are set up. They're either individual or they're group, but they are conversations where the the, the recipient of the learning is able to actually um, participate themselves and contribute themselves rather than this is the curriculum. You know, you're not replacing uh, learning by PowerPoint. Uh, in terms of the screen time. We all know that screen time is, is damaging um, over, and, and we've been saying that for years and then suddenly we were saying actually every day you're going to spend up to five hours looking at a screen. There's got to be that, 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 that time to talk, time to listen, time to engage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely vital and, and it is, it is a, a, you know, a real tension at the moment for working in education at the, the, t the time of recording this I've literally just seen five minutes before we started um, discussions about you know GCSEs and A-levels being moved back a, a few weeks to allow that that's uh, three months of teaching to to magically just appear in, in whatever it's going to be 14 working days to, to, to catch it all up again so uh, you know that tension that's always there is something that, that I think an awful lot of uh, teachers are going to be dealing with um, as well as obviously the, the children themselves as they work through. Yeah, it may be overly simplistic, yeah. but my, my very overly simplistic um, point about the exams is a way to resolve it, is not to say, let's, let's push it back another 14, 14 working days, but actually to, to offer the exam in the way that you would do, but to say to the student, instead of completing all six sections of the exam paper, you complete four of the six. Yeah. So because we've got, we've got different parts of the country um, delivering and different schools delivering exam, exam uh, content at different times, you couldn't say, well, actually, all we're going to do is the first part of the curriculum because it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. But you could say only respond to, you know, choose four of the six. So um, we've, you've, you've mentioned about achievement four and you've talked about some key things there. Um, I think it's I think it's really important um, for for our mentors and for our associate teachers to know a little bit more about about achievement for all and and particularly um, how that might well contribute to to continuing professional development for teachers not just at the very beginning of their career but but as they go on so maybe if you could just tell us a little bit more about the kind of things that's that you're doing so um, just just very quickly achievement for all has been around now for. 12 years. Uh, we had a two-year pilot uh, in 2009 to 2011 and then we um, have subsequently been an independent charity and we've worked in uh, over 5,000 schools across the country and also early years in Pro 16. And we have a range of programmes that are aimed at improving outcomes for the most vulnerable and disadvantaged um, in our schools. And from that it can be a child that's actually not achieving at this moment in time or a child that has had sustained difficulties um, throughout their their educational career so we we approach this through uh, the, the delivery of our programs through coaches so our coaches 
uh, of which we have uh, currently uh, active um, over 130 um, from a pool of 500 um, around the country. And they provide support for the teachers and for the leaders and they provide materials. So we've got over 2000 hours worth of materials. Although saying that in this current uh, time when people are probably uh, fed up looking at screens and fed up looking at, <laughs> at, at something that's delivered online, but we do have supporting activity. But our coaches, which is face-to-face, -face, are able to provide what the schools need in a bespoke way. So we would begin with a needs analysis. So what's happening with those vulnerable and disadvantaged uh, children and people? what support has been given, where are their gaps, what needs to be done to, to help staff in their professional development. And as you say, it doesn't just start at the new teachers, although we've done quite a bit on the retention of teachers in the early years, it goes all the way through to, to, to leaders, um, all the way through to people that have been teaching for 30 years, 40 years, to provide that coaching. And that coaching is incredibly mutual. It's incredibly... Uh, uh, supportive um, so understanding where the teacher is understanding what the problems they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and we were able to provide that level of support for a, a number of our settings um, throughout the pandemic and we've continued with our schools uh, early years and post-16 um, since they've returned in September and indeed we get new schools joining every day of the week um, and we think that that's because in this moment in time there's absolutely that need for teachers and leaders uh, to have that support in how they engage with parents and carers, how they teach, what learning can happen, what happens in terms of the wider activities and what leadership can they, they provide themselves and to their peers, how can they work together um, in providing that vision for the future in a collaborative way. Let's, let's, let's think, I mean, a, a word that again, really kind of shone through for me when I was re reading uh, Born to Fail, um, is the word hope that comes through. And um, so, so I'm, I'm fascinated to know what your hopes are for um, early career teachers and, and the impact that they can have on the lives of, of children and their families. Um, I think for the early career teacher, I mean, now is a really good time and it's always a good time to become a teacher. Um, I should have said that at the beginning, so thank you very much for being part of this fantastic profession and being engaged in the way that you are. Um, but for the early career teacher, now is the time for you to think about what, what are the simple wins, what are the quick wins that help children and their families. And we have a, a manifesto, a manifesto that came into being about two and a half years ago. It happened to be launched at the House of Lords. Um, and the reason I mentioned the House of Lords is because of what the first priority of that manifesto is and it's kindness so two and a half years ago we were talking about kindness so whether you're in a context of a pandemic or post-pandemic or going going forward kindness is free being nice to each other is free having a society that is kind is free so for early careers teachers or for any any teacher to actually say Let's go into our day and say something nice to everybody that we're working with. Not falsely, but with some sincerity and to be able to be kind to each other. What we found is that that helps with attendance, it helps with behaviour, it helps with approaches to learning, it helps with the way in which we as, as professionals relate to each other. 
Um, it, it takes um, that energy sapping that sometimes happens in schools. It removes that and it becomes an energy giving environment. So our first priority has always been kindness. So I, I hope that the early careers teachers and those, those people that are just at the start of your training and have moved into teaching uh, either straight from university or from other professions, just be kind. Be kind to yourselves and be kind to everybody around you. Fantastic. Um, Sonia, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this afternoon. I'm sure we could have spent many more hours talking about things, but I do know that um, our associate teachers are very much looking forward to uh, hearing you uh, later on this week. So by the time this comes out, they'll, they'll have heard you and will, they'll no doubt be buzzing about um, everything that you're going to be talking about them as part of our Social Justice Day. So thank you so much. Thank you.